No Gods, No Monsters contains spoilers, profanity, and substance use. Aren't you supposed to be buried someplace in New York? Yeah. Your parents came to my funeral. I was surprised at how many people came. Why should you be surprised? You were a very well-liked person. Yeah, I was, wasn't I? Well, I liked you. Debbie Klein cried a lot. Oh, God, am I asleep now or what? So, so, you know what she does? She's so grief-stricken. She runs to find solace in Mark Levine's bed. Mark Levine? An asshole. Life mocks me even in death. I'm going completely crazy. David! What? listening to last week's episode which was a continuation of the conversation from the week before (laughs) talking about how the kids are at the movie theaters these days (laughs) with their chatting and their iphones did anyone see a movie this week not in theaters no i wanted to see uh the new miyazaki movie this weekend but um i i I had too much to do with this episode so i I was gonna see it tonight and and i changed my mind i did this instead but Anyways, I also was reading Society of the Spectacle, and it, it. I was doing both of those things. I was editing last week and listening to our conversation, and editing or and reading this book. And it occurred to me that teens these days are actually disrupting the spectacle. We go into the movie theater and we are told we are we are complacent in the theater. We are not having community. We are being uh community is being mediated to us through the screen and teens have had enough and actually we are the bad ones for not liking that they're talking that is the conclusion that i've come to i love this arc this is such a good arc because first we were the bad ones then we were like are we the baddies and now we have the theory to back up the praxis of supporting the, the kids they gotta talk in interrupting movies Don't. and we gotta I, i'm never gonna stop hating it but we are, at least we know we, where we, we are, stand. We are know? holding on to the vestiges that capital is throwing us to be complacent so that we can wake up the next day and go to work and like and what like be okay with about? it. No, what are you talking about, Charlie? Oh, Charlie loves the spectacle. <laughs> Charlie is a very why aren't you marrying the spectacle, Charlie? You're defending people talking during a movie. And you're, you're defending the, the little scraps that the capital chooses to throw us uh in instead of instead of spontaneous congregation on the streets where where uh our our de- desires and drives belong F- forget the movie theater unless you want to go there to talk with your friends that's what i'm going to start doing now the kids are <laughs> onto something and who knows and again i was thinking about this I've been thinking about it all week. Maybe it makes movies better. I have no idea. Maybe they're having a fucking no, blast in there. <laughs> Telling you from personal experience, it doesn't. It ruins the movie. Wait, it on. makes it worse. Okay, I but saw maybe that that's movie good. in theaters three times. <laughs> the worst time I saw it was when people were talking during the entire time. Yeah, but but maybe it was better Old for them. Yells maybe it was better for them. Look, 
to be on topic of the movie we're talking about tonight, he wouldn't have even known what was going on with all the people he'd killed if they hadn't talked during See You Next true, Wednesday. Like, it's a vital, pe- vital information is shared in okay, theaters. I don't so know. Then I, I, he wouldn't uh, have um, tried to commit suicide. I'm against people trying to commit suicide, <laughs> so that's a plus. And uh, B, that movie was hilarious, so that would have been worth watching. <laughs> <laughs> uh that's that's true both of you are very right i <laughs> i i don't know i think that it's very important for my soul to take this ride with you Barto. like okay. i'm fully there with you even though i hate it i hate it too i hate it so much but they're right i hate it when they talk i hate it when you fuckers talk yeah you fucking you hear me i'm doing my talking to younger people voice you hear me but yeah no yeah they're right but, but to you're do the it. future yeah, and you're right, you're and right I'm wrong, and what do I know? Disrupt the movie theaters, and- fucking play, play your fucking iPhone on the train. Be, uh, <laughs> uh, stop your think- car in the middle of the street. Talk to your friend who's on the <laughs> sidewalk. It's all good. Throw shit at the screen. Yeah, fucking put your feet up on my chair. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty much like if this is what Gen Z's doing. By the time Gen A or whatever happens, movies are going to be like two directional, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just, you know, if someone puts their foot on my chair in the movie theater, I'm going to go talk to them. And that would never have happened. If I, if, I won't. If they were just like sat in their place and were demure and all that stuff. Yeah. No, fuck that. Fuck that. That's my this new, is, this... This is my new position. And this is the official position of No Gods, No Monsters, which is going to tear us apart. It's going to, this is going to be, this is going to be, you're hearing right now the seeds of the forest that is the the destruction of this. We got like a few more episodes left, folks. This is it. You guys are just trying to muscle me out. I I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see who muscles who. But yeah, totally. I'm going to encourage us. We got, I, I want just homework i want us to do some homework in the next in the next i know christmas is coming up so we got some things take care of it's gonna be busy i'm sure for everybody please please take care of the lord this christmas season yeah but also go to a movie theater and talk and and just see what happens (laughs) no Welcome to No Gods, No Monsters, where the anti-capitalist kaiju and monster movie podcast in a world where no one's coming to save us. I'm Rabbit. I'm uh, Charlie, aka the Salmon of Knowledge, aka um, uh, Sweet Baby American Werewolf Charlie in St. Louis. <laughs> and and I'm Bardo. And today we're, man, I might just put on a movie while we talk. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean. Let's do that. Uh, <laughs> today we're talking about uh, 1981's "An American Werewolf in London." Um, look, we're not good at knowing the future, but I think next time we're doing Charlie's pick. Charlie, have you picked yet? Uh, my pick is movie came out in 1999 and took the world by storm. It was The Matrix. The most beloved movies of the time made everyone question, what is reality? And Fight Club. And it is The Mexistans. Yeah. yeah. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. I've never watched that. That's you, not my list. David Cronenberg's Can you Existence. say it more clearly for people who didn't, can't see the cap? Oh, you got, sorry, you just um, did. Yeah. You guys, did you, did you see me log it? 
Is that a score? Is that why you, how you knew what it was? I did. I just, uh, I just when people love to make that, I, I've heard that joke about in 1999, a movie came out that <laughs> made people question their existence, and then they don't say The Matrix and, and instead. You're right. You're right. I'm not. Existence. I'm not original. I get it. Doesn't matter, man. Do whatever you want. Charlie created that joke. He's been yeah. letting people use it <laughs> uh-huh. this whole time. Um. Yeah. It's it's uh. Hell yeah. It's a classic, and the the new 4K from Vinegar Syndrome just came out. So this will get me to go through all the extra features. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Awesome. So we think that's what we're covering next time. And then we think after that, we're going to be wrapping up Monarch Legacy of Monsters with our second episode on the first season. By the way, if you haven't checked it out already, we're on Patreon. Patreon.com slash NoGodsPod. Thank you to everybody who has joined our Patreon already. A special thanks to our first Patreon subscriber at the Salmon of Knowledge tier, Captain Anarchy. Thank you, Captain Anarchy. Thank you, Captain Anarchy. Because of you, we have to talk about when we're doing Transformer episode at some point. So thank you so much. Appreciate you. Um, but if you want to check it out, we have bonus episodes on there. We have behind the scenes stuff. You can check it out. Patreon.com slash no gods pod. Charlie, an American werewolf in London. Do you have a synopsis? Uh, I think Barta said he was going to take it this week. I did not. What? Uh, two American boys, David and Jack, are backpacking through northern England when they encounter a full moon. Now the two American boys become one dead American boy, Jack, and one American werewolf boy, relocated to a London hospital. Soon, David is given a hard but important lesson about fake friends as Jack's dead ghoul ass visits him and tells him to kill himself. However, David ra- would rather knock boots with his nurse Alex than kill himself, quite in an understandable position considering Alex is played by Jenny a gutter. David then completely fucking wilds out to Creed's Clearwater and Sam Cooke and goes on a killing spree, truly showing a hatred for the British that I can only admire. <laughs> After waking up in the zoo and then being told by Alex that she doesn't have time to knock boots, David's guilt overcomes him, so he meets with Jack in a porno theater where he is convinced to finally uh, to finally kill himself. However, before he can do the deed, he lives out George Clinton's lyrics and shows that there's nothing but a dog in him, and it goes on another spree. This one ending in his end. The end. It's an American werewolf in London, baby. Awesome. You're right about fake friends. Like, if... If one of y'all died and then was still here, I'm not telling you to leave. I'm hanging out. Like we would yeah. just hang out. Like I don't understand. We would just like Yeah, kick he's it. like yeah. he's like, you have know? you ever hung out with a dead person? It's boring. It's like, okay, well you can hang out with me, obviously. So what's yeah. the problem? Yeah. Right now. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's not yeah, yeah. Just cop out. Cop out. Be total. Be tough. I don't know. Grow up. <laughs> Yeah, stop whining. And also, you are a dead person. What do you mean it's boring to hang out yeah, with? You yeah. are a dead person. Make your own fun. Yeah. Oh, and he, build community. He seemed to be kind of fun still. He was making jokes and uh, eating toast. Yeah. Be the dead person you want to see mm-hmm. in the world. Don't complain about the other dead people. Come on. Right. Um. Okay. Uh, any references or sources people want to bring up? Uh, Wikipedia. What? wikipedia.com and i also watched the wolfman 1941's the wolfman because i'd i had a hunch and it paid off okay um i have the arrow limited edition which um yeah has a couple commentary tracks a documentary on the history of uh werewolf and um in the movies 
as well as like a 20 minute segment on this movie uh feature length making of documentary of this movie and i mean just a bunch of different featurettes about different aspects of this movie um it's stacked to the gills and i didn't get through all of it but i got through a lot of it um Hell yeah. did then, you read the like two books what oh yeah and never mind. It looks like you're falling out. I yeah, I did have two books. I only ended up getting into one of them, um, and I didn't even finish reading it. But uh, this is the Werewolf and Lauren Legend by uh, Montague Summers from 1933. Um, and I read uh, a few different uh, overall chapter on lycanthropy, a chapter on the science and practice of it, and um, a chapter on. Uh, werewolves in uh, England, Wales, Scotland, and Ireland, and a chapter on the werewolf in literature. But um, I don't know how much we come to this because it turns out a lot of what we know about werewolves not from folklore, from the movies. <laughs> um, like pre- oh, yeah. pretty much the only thing from folklore is like the silver bullet stuff, uh, and even that is very, very rarely uh, found in these cases. Mostly. It used to just be considered just black magic done by witches and sorcerers and uh, with the devil. Um, yeah. Fuck yeah. Wait, so does that mean it, it was not really like uh, a wolf person? Was it just like a wolf? Was Because that's why I'm thinking about like what's different between the movie and uh, the folklore. It would usually be like a witch or something with a pact with the devil using like black magic to become a wolf or a cat or a hare or some kind of animal and then um uh and the transformation process would usually it wouldn't be like against their will it'd be they would uh rub an ointment on them there's one case where somebody rolled in sand a bunch until they turn into a werewolf uh they would wear a girdle made out of like bewitched wolf hair or uh uh skin cool wolf skin um yeah so it wasn't like this thing where it it was brought to them against their will, and then the, uh, they transformed the full moon. Like that stuff really had nothing. Anything that I read from this book, anyways, had nothing to do with that. Um, that mostly just came more for, I guess, modern movies and literature about werewolves. Well, thanks for clearing that up, brother. Now, the more I know, <laughs> I'm not going to stop spreading lies about werewolves. Um, also, this book, it's very interesting, very scholarly, so it can be hard to read, but um. He like he's nonstop uh, referencing all this like age old text from like the fifteen hundreds and twelve hundreds, and he'll like quote something from that text, but it's not translated. So you'll have like two full pages of like Latin, no translation, <laughs> and then like a, a can you can I see the cover? Okay, yeah, no, I have, like so, a, a page yeah. in, in Greek, no translation. <laughs> So are you Damn. are you admitting to the whole world that you don't know Latin or Greek? I mean, I didn't say I didn't know it. I just said it's weird that oh, it doesn't okay. do that. Okay. <laughs> cool. Fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. Good looking out for everybody out, for like the Gen Z out there. Yeah, too busy on iPhone cool. to learn Latin. How about you? Did you get any sources? I also looked at Wikipedia and I reread the chapter. Hold on, I'm getting to it. Uh, chapter six of, wait, is that right? Hold on. I reread the chapter The Ban and the Wolf from uh, Giorgio Agamben's Homo Saker, Sovereign Power, and Bare Life, and I'll bring up some of that stuff later. Uh, yeah, 
I should uh, say, um, when we talked about doing this, you said like, oh, I'm going to bring up this author or something. And that's why I was like, I'm going to read a couple of fucking books and I'll show you <laughs> who does research. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, and fuck yeah. yeah. And that it turns out didn't really help me at all. <laughs> <laughs> it did occur to me that I could uh, read all of civilization and its discontents by Freud and that there would be something in there to help me with this. And, and I, I pulled enough to, to make my point without having to read like a few hundred pages and do that whole thing. So, but that was for everyone else's benefit, not my own that I did not read. The oh, wow. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> I would have been cool with you reading that book, dude. Um, okay, well, uh, let's start with general thoughts and feelings. I picked it this time, so I'm going to start. And I remember that before this era, you guys didn't like this movie very much. So I'm going to start to start us on a... But I don't know. We'll see where you are now. Uh, this movie fucking rules. I really like this movie. I feel like I never thought I would like this movie, but I watched it like right after reading this book where he talked about werewolves and like the political history of werewolves, which I'm gathering now from you, Charlie, is very different than the folklore history of werewolves. And I was like, oh man, this movie's operating on all these levels. And I just feel like it's like extremely, it's like such a weird movie in that like it, it's in this weird in-between between like comedy and drama and it's not either fully in both and it's not funny in a like ha-ha way, but I think the comedy stuff does a really good job of like supplying ammo for the like critique of society that it's doing like that this movie is all about showing the absurdity of situations and i feel like starting off with like you know you and your buddy going into areas that you're not used to and how you'd be cracking jokes at the absurd things and then just like ramping up the absurdity as it goes is a really good vehicle for like social critique and it's also just like fun and has super fucking great effects uh so yeah i really like this movie yeah, I've never liked this movie as much as I'm supposed to. And I think it's not a real thing. <laughs> this time, probably liked it more than any other time I watched it, but I'm still, I'm every few years, every more than a few years, but, but like every once in a while I'll put this on and be like, maybe I'll get it this time because I am supposed to like it more than I do. <laughs> uh, but it just never. So weird. It never really hits for me. Um, I don't know. It just falls flat. I want to like it. Great effects by Rick Baker. Jenny Gutter is uh, is fantastic. Um, Griffin's good. We wouldn't have the Thriller music video without it. Um, I don't know. I guess I I don't like murders, and you do. So <laughs> I can approve of the John Landis movie. <laughs> Is John Landis a murderer? Yeah, on um on uh Twilight Zone, um he was like very uh reckless with his directing and a helicopter crashed and beheaded a an actor oh, and right. uh, 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 yeah. one adult actor, I think like two child actors. Um What? And that's why yeah. Steven Spielberg like immediately ended his friendship with him. Holy shit, I had no idea. He ended up being like acquitted of all charges against him or whatever. So uh, I know he doesn't feel like he's guilty at all, but a lot of other people do feel like he was guilty. Holy shit. I think I yeah. even read his personal stuff on Wikipedia and there was some stuff in there. I was like, oh, that sucks. But I don't even think that was on there unless I missed what? it. What? 
Wow. It had to have. Yeah. I must have missed He's it. also the father of Max Landis, who um, is an annoying shithead who wrote Bright. And he, when he was writing Bright, he said, Oof. this is going to be my Star Wars. Uh, yeah, Bright was extremely bad. <laughs> Holy shit, I didn't know that. Well, now I hate this movie. Thanks so much, Charlie. Mission accomplished. So the last time I watched this movie, I was like, I'm pretty lukewarm on this. And then this time I watched this movie and I'm like, oh, last time I watched this movie, I slept through almost all of it. I don't know what gave me the impression that I saw most of this movie, but I like definitely did not. And I'm slightly more warm on it than I than I was before. Like, I uh, I think it's actually theoretically much more interesting. Like, I think what they're saying and how they're saying it is is actually kind of interesting I just think, uh, what's his name? David Nowton? Is that how you... Nowton? Yeah. Uh, I, I think he's kind of flat and, and boring. Yeah. Um, and he's he's surrounded by like a, a pretty good cast generally, but I don't think he's very interesting. There were things that I wanted them to kind of like just lean into a little bit more that they, that they didn't. Like, there's a lot of stuff in here I really, really liked. I liked his... His weird fantasies, which I'm very, or, or dreams or whatever, that I'm like very excited to talk about because I think there's like, there's so much to pull from. But the but the other, the other side of that is, is I actually think that there's saying too much in here and not taking any of it quite to the end, if that makes sense. Like that totally like makes they're sense. They're like touching on all these things that are all pretty interesting and. I, I kept thinking like, oh, that's like definitely I had all these like, oh, that's what they're that's definitely what this means. But it doesn't it might not come up again. It might not, you know, like it just kind of like hangs there. Um, but I do think it like when his when his hand is doing that thing and and growing, I was like, I felt it. I felt like sore. My hand felt sore. It was it's very there's like it's impressive and it looks very painful and and I, I agree there's a lot of there's some funny stuff i think uh his uh what's his griffin dune his his buddy jack is very funny i i i wish he was just like hanging there was just like a this zombie hanging around for the whole movie like that was <laughs> that guy was that guy was a trip great great makeup all that stuff very just like fun deadpan kind of thing and and um uh I, I don't know and again i don't i don't like hate this movie i love this movie i um yeah it's fine i enjoyed watching this movie i'm very excited to talk about this movie because it made me think of a lot of things. i i really feel that point oh go ahead charlie i was say, uh, i completely agree with you about david Naughton is uh kind of flat um and it's weird because griffin dune is just like he's such a better actor, so you're kind of like, I, I wish he played the lead role, but then you're like, but I wouldn't want David Naughton to play the funny role, because I don't think he could deliver no. that either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Landis said like he wanted like, the main character to have like a very sympathetic face, which I guess David Naughton does, but I just don't think he really delivers on any of the other stuff um, outside of having a sympathetic face. Um, also, about the film not fully going on things that it touches on, he did write this when he was like 18 or something. Wow. Which, uh, I mean, it was made like thir- ten, over 10 years later, I think. Uh, so he probably touched up on some stuff in the meantime. But yeah, this was basically just completely written when 
when he was a, a teenager. And um, he even regrets a lot of the dialogue and stuff because he's like, well, you can tell how young I was when I wrote like mm. that this is just like a fantasy of him waking up in the hospital and he just gets to immediately hook up with this beautiful woman totally. <laughs> yeah i i feel like you can really tell like i feel like part of the charm of this movie is that it doesn't it's unpredictable in its tone and i think that that totally speaks to like a, a not quite polished writer who's mm. like throwing ideas out but they don't like fit together totally well um which I kind of like about it, but is also a little weird. And I fully agree, Barto, with you talking about how it plays with ideas, but doesn't bring them anywhere, like, fully. I think I watched this movie because I wanted to watch werewolf movies, werewolf movies, hoping that ideas that Agamemnon had brought up would be in them. And this was one of the first ones I watched, and it was like, every five seconds, I was like, oh my god, that's, oh my god, that's that, that's that. And it was like... I don't know what watching this movie without that is like. Sure. Every time I've watched it, it's like chock full of cool ideas. But I also am not going to get us. I don't get anywhere at the end other than, oh, yeah, they've played out the stuff I was thinking. It's not like, hey, let's take these interesting political ideas and say something new with them at all. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I hear all that. That makes sense. Um, well, do y'all have anywhere specific you want to start? Um, I, I want to talk about just how incredible the uh, national health system in British, in, <laughs> in England is that uh, nurses, beautiful nurses, just take their work home with them. That's, that's, <laughs> that's wild. And you say, I don't want to be alone. And it's like, okay, I'll just send a nurse in to sit while you're asleep. They just have a nurse per patient, like yeah. ready to go. Okay. I mean, they do check your dick while you're asleep to see if you're circumcised, which is a little much. Uh, <laughs> but I would make that trade, but maybe not everyone would, you know? It's this weird... Okay, that scene was so strange to me. Not the checking his dick scene. That was strange, too. But the, the sure. sending a nurse in, that was... Yeah. Okay, so that was when I'm like, oh, she's become his mom. Like, something edible <laughs> is going to happen the here. Freud shit is right here. Okay. <laughs> That's not even no. That's not even civilization. That's not even that. That was just I. I was but I was ready for it. It wasn't some, yeah, something. Something yeah, yeah. Oedipal didn't quite happen. I couldn't figure out who his dad was, and so I couldn't figure out who he, who he killed. <laughs> the but, werewolf uh, was his dad. Maybe. <laughs> I. I also thought maybe this is Hamlet. It like it crossed my mind a couple times that that they're playing on Hamlet, and I did a lot of googling around um, to see if anyone uh, had compared. American Werewolf in London to Hamlet and and it's not quite there but there but oh, there is the, sure. the Oedipus Hamlet connection too and so I I was getting really big brain and again that those just didn't really go anywhere unfortunately so other stuff did go places <laughs> you know uh, literary work it does play on is brought up in that scene which I'm not familiar with the book but um what is it Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's King Arthur's Court, Court. yeah or yeah. she's reading that book. I guess Landis always wanted to make an adaptation of that movie, so, um, but he never could. So uh, he was kind of fitting that in here with like someone out of place. Yeah, and he wanted to make a deliberate nod to it with uh, Jenny reading the book uh, next to his... And with the title it. of the movie, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I think that that is a big indicator of what he's trying to do with the movie. Like, just, okay, I'm going to read some Wikipedia because I didn't know what this was, so I looked it up. 
Um, a, Connecticut, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, which is by Samuel R. Clemens, who's Mark Twain. Yeah, uh, Missouri, baby, <laughs> represent. Um, from Wikipedia, it is a satire of feudalism and monarchy that also celebrates homes, homespun ingenuity and democratic values while questioning the for-profit ideals of capitalism and outcomes of the Industrial Revolution. Twain strongly praises the French Revolution, defending the reign of terror as a minor problem compared to the monarchy. It is among several works by Twain and his contemporaries that mark the transition from the Gilded Age to the progressive era of socioeconomic discourse. So, I mean, we'll get into maybe his critiques of things in this, but I I was like noticing that I felt like this movie was trying to show the absurdity of like officialdom and like, you know... The medical system and government and how the cops are working. And then she just said, she just like said it out yeah. loud yeah, yeah, yeah. here, she which yeah, definitely comes across. It's like this weird thing where I, it's like hitting you over the head with it, but also the movie doesn't super hit you over the head with it all the time. Like, I think a lot of people could watch this and not feel like it's that political. So it's like, yeah, the you saying he was young, Charlie, makes us so much of this fall into place for me. It's like a bunch of ideas. You want me to tell you where he got the original idea for the movie? Sure. Yes. Uh, so he was working on Kelly's Heroes when he was, I think, 18 in Yugoslavia. Like He was like a, a gopher on the set, I think, at one point. So if he could turn into a werewolf, someone could turn in, Or if he could turn into a gopher, gopher yes. Yes. someone could turn into a wolf. I see. Mm. Okay. Uh, so they, they come across a bunch of Romani people uh, in the Yugoslavian countryside having a funeral decked out uh, how like three different interviews with John Lancer. He talks about how much it looked like a movie, how much it looks like a movie set, uh, the way they were, the, they were dressed and everything looked. Um, and then uh, the um, coffin was adorned with garlic and rosaries. I think he said they were burying him at like a crossroads. And they asked like, why, why all this stuff for the burial? And they said, so he wouldn't come back. The corpse wouldn't come back alive and like walk uh, after they buried it. And um, he got this idea of, uh, you know, what if people who don't believe in superstitions like that had an encounter with something that out of the ordinary that went against everything they believed, uh, what that would be like. And then he went through like a list of monsters and he decided on werewolves and yeah. The most werewolf encounters in history were in France or or Wales, I think, according to him. And England had a uh, tax incentive to go to England. And plus, he spoke English. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's funny because that's like what the Wolfman is like. 1941's yeah. The Wolfman is mm-hmm. is it's about this sort of encounter between you know this like posh guy and you know, a Romani fortune teller and there's the big Romani funeral and how wild is this? And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, same, same sort of thing. I'm almost thinking he's made up this story, even though he's told <laughs> it so many times. Could be. He clearly he, has seen, he mentioned, they will mention the Wolfman. Like it's, I, this is in a universe where the Wolfman exists and the characters know the Wolfman and they bring up the pentagram and everything. So yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. That's, that's funny. Very strange. He's like, I saw this funeral and I thought, what if the movie The Wolfman existed? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have not seen The Wolfman. Um, I really need to get to watching it. Uh, it's pretty good. I, I, I imagine so. I've seen um, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, which has um, Lon Chaney Jr. as The Wolfman in it, as uh, 
the main protagonist. Um, and that's one of the greatest movies ever. So I imagine the Wolfman's pretty good. And he's the worst cast member in the whole thing. They're, everyone else is like yeah. head, head and shoulders above him. About Lon Chaney Jr.? Yeah, definitely. Wow. I found, I watched that movie at the same time that I first watched this movie when I was on a werewolf streak. And I found it really kind of meh. Like I thought I was missing something. And now I, I'm aware that there's more subtext that I was, that totally went over my head. And I imagine I would enjoy it a lot more. Apparently, um, there's lots of, I mean, you probably, this is probably what you're referring to, lots of uh, stuff about being Jewish, because uh, the writer was a, a Jewish immigrant from Nazi Germany, um, so there's yeah, lots right. of stuff referencing that, yeah. Right, right, right. Totally. Um, and John Landis is Jewish, and that comes up in the movie. Yeah. Well, not him being Jewish, but... I mean, this is... We'll probably... I don't know if you want to jump into that now, or oh, if we want to go into that. That seems like a, this seems like a perfect place to, I mean... I don't like have I don't feel like I have like a perfect encapsulation of this, but there is obviously the like the he's circumcised joke, you know, to like nod at it. And then the the fucking zombie Nazis coming into his house and killing his family, which is the most out of left field bit in this whole movie to me, but also perhaps the most telling of what this movie is about. Like it is the the thing besides maybe the star on the wall, which I know is not a star of David, but I think is is pointing towards. And that's what people have said. The the pentagram in the Wolfman was trying to like draw, like make right. people aware that that's what they were trying to do right, with the right, movie right. in the yes. original. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I was. So I've always seen that those the, the soldiers in the dream were Nazis, but then I they don't have any Nazi insignia on them. No. Like, I still feel like they're supposed to represent Nazis, but it's weird that they don't really yeah. have anything, any insignia on them. Um, that is interesting. I never noticed that because their uniforms are so obviously Nazi. Like, yeah. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, what do we, I don't know, what What do y'all think of that? What did, What was your first reaction watching that that scene? Like, what? what did you read it as? So I'm going to bring up what I think way later because okay. it ties way too much into the book I was already thinking about that I did yeah. not think it, – it was just like, a, oh, shit, really? They, did they read this? Which they couldn't have. It came out in 1995. But like, did he watch that? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, so I can't – but at first I will say like even with that in mind, it was still like confusion and especially confusion that it never came up again. Yeah. Um, I think it makes sense, but I – yeah. Charlie, what what about you? I mean, I don't remember when I first saw this movie, so I can't really comment on that. Uh, but I sure. feel like I've always kind of felt it's, it's a crazy dream sequence. Uh, it's one of the best <laughs> sequences of the movie, but it doesn't really, <laughs> yeah, in terms of concrete plot, doesn't really fit in with the rest of it. Um, it's interesting. Uh, he he always t uh, says that it's a complete ripoff of, um, or maybe not ripoff, but uh, a complete. It's completely a take on. Um, Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, uh, which is a favorite movie of mine of uh, one of my favorite directors, Louis Benoit. So I, I was like, yeah, that's a much better movie though. But because um, he does like dreams within dreams, um, like that whole movie is is a bunch of upper class rich people trying to get together, have lunch, but uh, things keep popping up and happening that that uh, delays them from having a meal together. And in some points, it's like dream sequences and dream sequences that are delaying the meal. It's it's uh, it's surrealism. It's a surrealist movie. But uh, yes, great sequence. One of the best sequences of the movie, in my opinion. 
Okay. I Oops. even without going into theory stuff, I do think that it's just tied into him coming to terms with his position as like an outsider and the fear that that brings. Like, I think a lot of this movie is about othering and like he's an American. He's being treated different, right? They like have to get the embassy to see what rights he has. And the embassy people are telling him what he's allowed to do. He's Jewish. They talk about that. He's uh, he goes into a pub. He's not from around there, so he can't be part of it. And they act really weird towards him. And there's a lot of other things about the movie that are about othering like being mentally ill a bunch of stuff but also just him being a hospital patient like he kind of has very little agency he's being othered just as a hospital patient right like he's told when he has to eat he's told when he can leave he's told to act a certain way he's told that he's wrong about what happened to him and it's maybe a sign of his mental illness um so i think that it subconsciously is like oh, shit, I'm being treated different by everyone. How far can that go? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, what, uh, is, what is the final step of that? What's the, the natural conclusion of othering in a society? Like, what's the worst that gets? It's also when he's going through Europe where he would be more um, at risk, I guess, historically to something like that yeah, than back yeah, in his exactly. homeland. Yeah, I mean, totally. And, and that was sort of my, I think everything you all said was correct and but it was what sort of like fed into this idea i had in my head that this is like this is a movie about being a jewish person and and sort of like that feeling of like kind of being a stranger in a strange land or whatever and like yeah what is what is the worst thing that could happen what if you know now that i am all alone like what are Mm -hmm. the potential consequences of of that in a social setting or totally yeah and it's interesting that there's like kind of each side the like europeans and the americans are like trading that mentality like in like he he's going through europe and thinking about what has europe done to outsiders or people that are not considered like okay or whatever like like the people the oppressed people in their area but there's that joke when they find out that they're from America about the Texans throwing the Mexicans out of the plane. So the people yeah. in Europe are thinking, what are the what are the Americans doing to their people that they reject or say shouldn't mm. be here or whatever in both very violent and over the top ways? Yeah. You know, yeah. one of the funny things about that joke, too, is that I don't know. If we ever confirmed it, but I feel like they're from like New York or something like they would probably have no identity with people with, with uh they would probably not identify at all with people from texas um uh totally they, yeah, yeah. Always... but texas is like the stereotype oh, of I the know. u.s to europe so it works perfectly <laughs> just like hopefully the people he's seeing in europe aren't nazis you know what i mean yes but i think the other thing that relates this to sort of like being a a, a jewish movie uh, and specifically thinking about maybe the Holocaust a little bit is David through this movie has survivor's guilt, which, you know, is was a mm. big thing for people who survived the Holocaust. You know, that was, you know, I that's sort of how I read his uh, mania, you know, his his I mean, I don't know if we're supposed to read his um hallucinations as real or whatever but like i i suspect we are that we're supposed to see them as real but i sort of see them as being like triggered by by this feeling that he should have died with his yeah. with his friend 
and um, that sort of weighing over this whole 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 film. The only thing about yeah, that, and let's say the only thing about that is that he seems to get over the death of his friend really quick in terms of uh, when he's not hallucinating. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe that's just coping mechanism, but. I mean, I was going to say a similar thing. I think like a teenager losing his friend saying, oh, go away. I don't want to think about you would be like the first stage leading to pretty bad survivor's guilt of like, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to identify my feelings. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just, it's just constantly like, oh, hey, what's up, Jenny? You got her. Uh, what's up, nurse reading to me? Um, and it's just, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it could just be a coping mechanism. Yeah, denial it, is the first. Yeah, yeah, it's denial, but it's also like this feeling like that you're losing your mind and you you have to pretend like you're not, even if you yeah. are, you know, because you still exist out there in the world. And I really love that the movie doesn't make clear at all if he's hallucinating or not. Like that's fucking awesome. Like that's part of I feel like the weirdness of the movie is that like you see certain things that he wakes up from, but then you see this dead guy in the room that seems to interact with things and seems to be right about everything he's saying. It's a trip. Yeah. It gives it like a kind of cool, interesting texture where it just adds to the kind of surrealness of it, I guess. Yes. Yeah. So there's a visual essay on this called, I think he's a Jew, the werewolf secret that uh, talks about this being like uh, the person who did the visual essay says it's like the most significant expression of uh, the post-World War II Jewish experience um, in film. This is from the Arrow DVD? Yes. Yeah. Cool. Wild. And it brings up uh, about basically the history of the werewolf in Nazi Germany. So I guess in 1910, there was a German novel called The Werewolf that was super, super popular in Germany to the point where uh, the the book was about like um, peasants in the Thirty Years' War creating a militia that fought back uh, the insurgent military, and I guess that it was very very popular and inspired the formation of racist of a racist paramil paramilitary paramilitary group called uh, Werewolf, and it had many f future Nazi members in it. Holy shit! I also talks about Hitler. Used to call himself the wolf. He called for young men to form wolf packs to fight uh, Germany's enemies. Uh, he called one of his uh, bases the Wolf Slayer. Goebbels' radio station was called Radio Werewolf. Um, so holy shit! Yeah, I mean they were really obsessed with uh, werewolf, wolf type stuff. Yeah, and then uh, here's the other chest. I don't know how much that ties together, um, but but yeah, then no, it brings up um, the references in Sa Kurt Sayon Max's um, script for the Wolfman that where he is referencing being a uh, Jew in um, in Nazi Germany and escaping from that and um, writing that stuff into the screenplay, and then he is talking about um, and then he is trying to link that to the film itself, and I don't and prejudice he saw in the film that that Landis was uh, specifically making, which I don't know if I completely fully buy on with but things like uh he talked about how he was tormented since he was a kid with the line since he first saw the movie with the line like about his penis being um circumcised and and how he thought that was some um, anti-semitism that john landis specifically wrote in uh with uh the way jenny uh, alex is alex responded like oh that's common instead of saying like so what uh and I'm trying to remember what else he brought up that's like such a strange critique. I mean, like, I guess I could, I can see how that c 
could be read as anti-Semitic to someone, but it I, like it's such like a it it the it was not like oh weird he's uh yeah. circumcised. It's just like he's a Jew, he's circumcised, and and her saying like, well, no, he might not be a Jew because in America, lots of people are circumcised who That's are not. That's what I kind of thought. I I thought he's kind of reading too much into that uh exchange right I there. Didn't... I read the first, I could see that. I read the first, the like invasion of privacy leaning to it mm -hmm. and the fact that she's secretly telling him that he's a Jew to me came across as it should be obvious to Alex that this person is being a little bit weird yes. about him oh, being a Jew. 100%. And so, and so instead of saying, who cares if he's a Jew, you're saying he might not be a Jew. Don't worry. No, it's common. Yeah. You're right. And I, I take that you're as right. like a little bit like not necessarily... Alex being anti-Semitic in like a very active way, but that the norm is to be like, well, yeah, Jews are weird, but maybe he's not one. That's like your gut reaction or like your knee-jerk reaction. You're right. I, I just felt like it's more, more like she just kind of like, I don't know, shrugging, getting out of the conversation. Um, exactly. And if you do that to bigotry, what it, you're just saying it's okay. I mean, which to me is sort of like, that's what this whole... And I don't know why this didn't come up before, and I really should have. But that's like what the whole werewolf thing is: is like is in the Jew in Nazi Germany is someone who could be living right next door to you, and you don't even know, you know, unless we put an armband on him, you know. In the in the Wolfman, he um, literally has like a scar of a of a star on him, you know. The 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 Wolfman, you don't. You don't know that he's a wolf man. He's walking around during the day. You know, it's um, he looks just like he looks what like I, just I us. Okay. You know, which really like ties this this whole thing together to me is is like in some way a movie nodding to the Holocaust. The only <laughs> thing is, is the wolf man is actually dangerous and, and bad. In yeah, this, you know, totally. Yeah, that's that reading of it that complicates. Cause I and I do think that the movie is very weird in that, like you know, one line about being Jewish here, Nazi scene here, and then almost nothing else. It's it's just weirdly political. Like it's weird. Right. It's sprinkled and like it's uneven and well, stuff. Yeah, I uh, I was thinking. You know, I said he he wrote this when he was like eighteen or something, but maybe he touched up on it in the years. I believe he said the only like big, the only change he really made. Um, between when he first wrote it and like when it got made is uh, the theater sequence because originally when he was in London that was a kids theater and then when he went back it was a porno theater but so I, yeah I don't think he really thought through much of it, any of this political stuff I think that's more of things that he might have uh, unconsciously wrote into it and were reading uh, stuff out of it I mean, well, we'll get to the thing. It, this touches on so much to do with the politics of the werewolf that either way, it's kind of crazy. It's just yeah. crazy to me. Well, I kind of want to go further into the talking about othering and like the critique of government, if that's cool with y'all. Um, like one of the things we haven't talked about much is uh, how mental illness is talked about in this movie. And it's actually like a pretty big part of it. Like, first of all, the werewolf is a mentally ill man right like they're like oh it's a lunatic which is a play on right lunatic lunar it's play on the moon thing but also like oh Pete, the guy who killed you just killed you because he's crazy he's an escaped lunatic like it's an easy oh 
crazy people just murder you. There's even the line. Uh, a lunatic the, has the say, strength of 10 men. You exactly. Know? <laughs> right. So he's being told, oh, no, you're wrong. You were killed by an insane person. Also, all these officials who have all these forms, you have like the embassy guy, you have the doctor, you have the uh, like even his friend, the nurse. And then you have the cops are all telling him the truth that we, the audience, saw isn't real. And if you don't keep agreeing, if you don't start agreeing with us, we're going to say it's because of your trauma or because you're crazy. Please don't be crazy. Basically saying all these officials and all this official stuff that's deciding where you are in this hospital bed, when you need to take pills, what the truth is, are basically starting to say, hey, hey, fall in line or you're going to be a lunatic. And what do lunatics do? They just murder people randomly. Um, It's kind of an interesting, like, to me, that kind of speaks to the gravity of the fear of jumping from to that vision of the Nazis of like, maybe consciously, that just seems pretty normal, because that's all normal shit. But subconsciously, you're like, oh, God, if I keep telling the truth, are they going to lock me away? Or am I going to turn into somebody who kills people? It's, it's like a lot to deal with, right? Right. Uh, um, historically, that is one thing they brought up in the book, by the way, um, the way they talk about him, um, you know, obviously, I don't mean he's not really a werewolf, but maybe if he believes he's a werewolf, he'll act like a werewolf. Yeah, that is one thing in the book I read, um, uh, where they try the the author. By the way, the author is like a full blown insane Christian, where he's <laughs> he's talking about like, well, obviously this is sacrilegious because. Uh, it's saying the devil can do a miracle, and the, uh, we all know that only God can do miracles. And you know, he, <laughs> so he's, he's constantly just like saying stuff like that. Um, the kind uh, of guy who wouldn't let you use his moon song in the movie. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, kind of guy who's like, well, yeah, the devil can't do a miracle and turn someone into a donkey, but it can make someone look like a donkey, and then it can have a bunch of devils carry the weight of a donkey, so it seems like (laughs) that person who's been turned into a donkey is carrying everything. Um, Calm down, bro. (laughs) Anyways, um, but yeah, they they do, it does often mention, like, there's a difference between people who take the form or seem to take the form of um, wolves or any other myriad of animals, and the difference between people who... um, think that think they're they they're a werewolf and they act like a werewolf and because uh, that's something i guess that has been historically documented and it's the same term like mm-hmm. the real medical term for thinking you're a wolf was lycanthropy but that's also what we call a werewolf a lycanthrope mm-hmm. which is like a very weird thing um i i thought it was really interesting that that doctor who at first is kind of his enemy to me he doesn't believe him and stuff becomes one of his biggest advocates right he goes on the detective's mission to try to figure out what's happening he does a cop job biggest what'd you say he does what the cops are supposed to do and yes actually investigates and he's like his biggest advocate but even he thinks he's crazy right right um right and so does alex alex is a big advocate she thinks he's crazy but he's hot too yeah. so and, yeah hot and a little bit sad because yeah because you're nuts <laughs> you know it's, it's like yeah it's uh yeah everyone is looking at him as purely like someone who can't take care of himself because he's his his he's not neurotypical or whatever. And, and uh, yeah, 
it he is moving it, through the world purely from like a position of of like I, I don't know disability is is how everyone sees sure. him. Uh, yeah, and his his other big advocate or the person who's supposed to be his advocate is the guy from the embassy, right? Because he's in England, he's an American. They're sending the embassy guy over, and that dude is a bureaucratic nightmare. Like this dude is waking up not knowing where he is. His friend is dead, and he's like, uh. What does he say? Hey, I've notified your parents. Everything's in order. Like, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I don't give a shit. Why do you? You don't even know who I am yet. And the, the guy gets like upset. He's like, uh, these dumbass kids never appreciate anything you do for them. It's like, you're doing your bare minimum job. What? Like, I, you, that was Frank Oz, right? Yeah, I was about to bring that you, up. Kermit and Piggy and yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. Cool. I, 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 I didn't when, realize that was him. When I saw it, I'm like, this is like a guy... This this whole bit feels like David like David Cross playing someone from an American embassy, <laughs> and it, and then it took me a minute to be like, oh, this is like this whole scene is a wink and it's like a, a cameo. I think I think he's like it's supposed to be funny that this is the guy who is. Mm, I think but, he would have been recognizable as a as a person. Maybe not. Maybe, then, I don't know. I don't know if he. I don't know. Because it, it was it felt so wacky. He was also in it in the movie later in the Nazi right. scene as right, right. Piggy, right? And, yeah. and Kermit. Piggy. No, yeah, I think Jim oh, Henson no. did Kermit. Yeah. Oh, maybe right. It but. even <laughs> says I think him as Miss Piggy in the credits, or if not, then it's somewhere else. I read it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I I just I feel like with the embassy and with then the cops, the two inspectors. I think like I think this movie is actually fairly successfully critiquing or showing the absurdity of government on a superficial level like in our everyday experience and then also on a like at the heart of government and society which i'll get to in a minute but like i do think these parts are supposed to be funny and like you have the inspector and the sergeant and they have their own hierarchy that the guy on top wins even though he's not making sense you know the inspector doesn't believe him and it's like his fumbling silly sergeant is like stupid but also clearly smarter and more reasonable and rational but it doesn't matter because he's lower on the hierarchy like i felt like this him going through this almost like amusement park ride of absurd officials that he has to deal with as they all tell him that he's wrong about the thing he experienced and they didn't is like a fairly obvious but like fun critique of of like government and bureaucracy if that makes sense what the scene where the doctor is like I have to have an appointment with someone tonight. I'll, you know, like, I don't want to, you know, basically just like bitching about yeah. having to like go see this guy. And then he calls and he's like, tell him I'm not here. Tell him I'm dead. You know, like, is this, yeah. is, it, it felt like, I'm like something, we're going to like come back to this, this guy who he's avoiding at some point and we just never do. And is it just like, oh, all the people above us are, are just like us and it's, you know, and it, have the same you know aren't aren't like any more grounded in together than we are or like what what was that i mean so he was mentioning rommel right which is like a german a famous german um general fuck i don't remember but i i thought of it as like a little bit of the absurdity of this guy survived a war and now bureaucracy and officialdom is even worse than that in his mind but also to tie us as the viewers to the recency of World War Two because of the fear of the Nazis coming. True. Okay. I don't I don't remember at all what you guys are talking about. 
there's the scene where the inspectors are in the office with the doctor, like when you first meet the doctor, and he's on the phone, and he's like, oh, for heaven's sake, if I could survive, a like, Rommel, which is like a general or something in German yeah. army, then I can survive a meeting with blah, blah, blah. And then, oh, he wants that? Never mind. Tell him I'm dead. Tell him I'm not here. It it did feel like, like, I agree with what I said, but I also think it felt, I also feel like it just feels a little out of place, like, this dude's used to writing weird banter and just threw that in, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. It just, it just, it feels like a, it's just a bit. Um, yeah. Which is fine. And I like a bit, but it just felt like sure. kind of out of, out of place. It almost felt like I was watching a British movie all of a sudden. Yes. Totally. I mean, that whole scene kind of felt like that. Yeah. The bumbling cops. And... Yes. Yeah. It's, the tone is very uneven like that. But, but yeah, Rama was, uh, one of the great German generals or whatever. Um, great, huh? Oh. I mean. Wow. Um, <laughs> did y'all notice the weird, speaking of like government stuff, did y'all notice the newspaper that they focused in on? Nope. There's a newspaper that says the headline, uh, hold on. I took a picture of it. Wow. One sec, I'm sorry. Uh, murder victims found half eaten like after his night out. Okay. Um, did y'all read any of the other text on there? No. Might have. It's a trip. I a few weeks ago when I watched this. Oh. Basically, the top is uh, the top part is about how the police found some bodies, but don't worry about it. We don't think there's anything to worry about. And it's basically like the cops are being stupid. We know there's a werewolf. We know there's a murderer out, but they're trying to say that's not what happened. So, you know, from reading this, that the cops are like lying to us, right? Mm -hmm. The part <clears throat> below that is about the new national front, an anti-racist group that's holding marches, that's claiming that uh, a bunch of black kids were, or uh, let me see, what does it say? They're, they're marching for equal laws for blacks and whites, and that a bunch of their protesters were arrested. And then it says, the police say that the front statement was a complete fabrication. Only one black youth was arrested and no arraignment was reached with anybody. And then it cuts off. Wait, uh, they're called the National Front, though? The New <laughs> National what Front. The New what? National Front. I've never heard of an anti-racist group called the National maybe they're, Front. Maybe they're, <laughs> but they're the, you, you yeah, keep leaving out were... New, Barto. I don't know if you're doing that intentionally. You keep leaving out New. It's Sorry. very hard Sorry, to tell. Talk. I'm going to hold this up just so you can see. Like, a lot of it's cut off. Like, you sure. can only see parts of it. Sure. But what it looks like is that the cops arrested a bunch of black kids for protesting. And then they're like, only one of them is black. Don't. Leave us right below an article where we as the viewer know they're lying right. about the werewolf. Right, right, right. It feels like a little hint that oh. he's like saying cops are racist, they're liars, yeah. you know? No, that mm -hmm. rules. Interesting little thing to throw in there real quick. Can I can I also just say that it got better in the end, but when uh, Nurse Alex is first starting to fall for David, it felt like she was racist too. Like she has this scene where she's taking care of the little um, Benjamin, Benjamin, the little kid who is a brown kid. And then and she's very annoyed with him. And then she he's really annoying. He is very annoying. Don't <laughs> get me wrong. Best. And then she goes and talks to the orderly who's also brown. And then she's also really annoyed by him. And then mm. she goes and talks to. David, who is also very annoying, but it, she's like, oh, man, that's cute. That's hot. Uh, oh, for sure. And, and I'm like, wow, this is very weird. And by the end of the movie, 
she's very nice to to the little little kid and it kind of dispelled some of my my fears about nurse alex's feelings but it 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 was like a weird lead up of of just like these two her treating totally. people just completely differently because she's a she's attracted to one like of them like the only not white people in the movie too yeah yeah I, totally. I don't know i don't know if that matters it or if it was just a oversight by a, a dude who's not thinking about that and maybe should have I, been but i think totally. it's, it's more likely that just a very uh unfortunate place to put your two non-white characters in us in that sequence um uh I, I, but she was kind of she was pretty rude to that 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 uh orderly it was just like what the fuck yeah. i don't know i just drop the food off and go away what the fuck am i supposed to do <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and it's like her boss is being rude to her but then she's being rude to someone that like generally speaking an orderly is seen as like below a nurse so it's like you're you're just you're furthering this bullshit hierarchy right. shit mm-hmm. right 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 I really liked Benjamin, and it's another one of those things that I don't know if they were like, let's put this in here randomly to be funny, or in the middle of our main character losing his agency, not being allowed to decide when to eat, blah, blah, blah. We see a kid who's gotten used to the hospital who's like, I'm going to take the pill when you tell me, I'm going to read the comic books you give me, but I'm going to protest by saying no to everything because that's my only agency, (laughs) and I know how to do it. And it's just, no, no, and he's having so much fun, and then you see... Then the next scene is her trying to feed uh, him, and he's like, no. And then she makes him do it anyway, and is like, this kid figured it out. David David has to learn how to get along with the system. Could be both. I mean, could be either. Could be neither. I mean, it seems to me like David figured it out. He's having Jenny Gutter feed him. He's <laughs> well, pretty Benjamin awesome to me. didn't necessarily have the same uh, uh, desires or options. <laughs> Should we talk about that? I mean, yeah, this should. is like at some level, like, I mean, you could say it's a movie about puberty almost to a certain extent and like dealing with yeah. that or, you know, like Landis sec- often Landis often compares the transformation to puberty, which I guess is pretty obvious. But yeah. but yeah, that was something oh, that was in the forefront of his mind. Yeah. I mean, in sexual awakening in general, you know, like that's mm-hmm. why. You know, I, I not obvious to all of us who had tunnel vision. So appreciate that. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, when I when I when I thought about why Alex was nice to him when she was uh, when he was being extremely rude and annoying to her was because like oh she could you know sense his vitality or whatever that comes from from being the wolf and and the the Ooh. whole thing feels you know when he's having these 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 dreams of you know and what i think there's a couple other angles we could come at this from of like running around naked in the woods and and eating animals is very much like a libidinous dream yeah Yeah, alpha male (laughs) kind of i am you know untethered uh kind kind of kind of fantasy world that he's in and and yeah nurse alex is just like it is very drawn to it, reads it, you know, right away, and and he's oh. very uh, afraid of it in the same way that I think a lot of a lot of kids are as they're going through puberty. I I never thought about that that uh, she kind of like senses that vitality, um, just uh, resonating off of him. Um, that 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 she takes him I mean, home that from work. <laughs> that would explain <laughs> uh, some of the stuff that's going on. Um, no, Although it makes I think, sense. I hadn't either. I think, yeah. Once again, that this was written by a teenager also just explains her attraction to him. Sure. Um, <laughs> but but yes. but that is a, a 
interesting way to look at it that I never thought about that before. Totally. Again, the the, the thing I thought about with uh with, with Freud is you know, in civilization and in his discontents, he his his whole thesis is like civilization exists to like curb the negative impulses of of man, the species, not the gender. Uh, and as a result, we suffer a tremendous amount of guilt from uh, harboring these these impulses. And and that's really what this whole, you know, again, that's like the 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 child who's going through puberty starts like thinking these thoughts that they maybe didn't like think about before and have this like weird guilt associated with it because we live in this weird puritanical sex negative world and that's how i read except for the nazi dream that's how i read like his other dreams and and him him oh yeah, interesting and, you know not only like with sex but like this this sort of like thrusting themselves himself like beyond imagining himself outside of civilization they sort of you know like in in the very beginning of the movie and i'm sorry i'm talking a lot but I, i'm going to be done in a second in the very beginning of the movie you know they they won't stay on the path they they're going out into the yeah. you know to the the i forget what they call them but into the field the moors thank you into the moors warned not to yeah and and i and you know when i just thinking about that i or when i when i saw that scene i wrote down like oh i'm i'm immediately thinking about like the closing off of the commons in in england and you know the sort of beginning stages of of capitalism and, and things like that and and them walking through these these areas you know is going going back to another time and that's that's a, i think sort of like a drive you know like a a return kind of thing is like a driving force in this in this movie totally yeah i think that the the like contrast between like the wild and civilization is a huge huge part of this movie um civilization and discontents i feel like is an interesting one to pick because it is it is very much on this tip but i want to talk about uh um oh my god what's this fucker's name uh thomas hobbs leviathan which we've brought up here before um you're there's one time you're not wearing your anti-leviathan uh shirt (laughs) (laughs) you're right that is weird uh uh so i'm trying to think of where to start with this so like he has this kind of idea that's not original to him, but his version of it kind of permeates all of our society and government that, you know, before civilization, you just had nature, which was like brutal. And uh, it was a war of all against all. Um, it was like, just, you know, like I could kill you, Charlie, and nobody could do anything and about it. And try. I could be killed and nobody would do anything. About it. We're just try. like, <laughs> basically just like, gnarly violence that nobody would want and i mean like it's bullshit that that's what was happening before civilization whatever and that uh the reason that we need a sovereign or a king or a a power structure is to protect us from that Giorgio ogamben uses the term for that first part as like bare life just like because like the word life when we use life it's like mixed together into multiple things right like i can say like life and just mean my existence, animals, whatever, things that are alive. Or I can mean like, I want to have a good life. I want to lead a nice life, which is like a social thing, right? Like I want to have a certain social setup. Does that make sense? It's like two different things. And so like, I want to call one of those bear life 
and one of those like social life. Um, and I feel like that's a lot of what this movie is trying to draw juxtaposition juxtaposition between to kind of show the abs- how absurd in some ways the social looks next to the bear. The opening scenes you're talking about, Barto, like it's wild countryside. There's no buildings, and then you start getting roads, and it says like an American werewolf in London over this wild stuff and the first place we're going to is like like they're like stick to the roads don't go off the roads like stay in the safe social life don't go to the like bear life does that make sense and then like he's suddenly in this like bureaucratic social life nightmare of medicine and laws and like filling out forms and all this stuff but in the meantime he's having these dreams of like bear raw life where he's just like running and just being like naked through the uh through the wild becoming becoming wolf yes uh and like the, the scene where fucking um yeah the scene where he's eating like a raw deer the next scene he's saying uh, the next scene with him he's saying i'm not hungry for this like weird plate of food and she has to like feed it to him but before British, that he was like British eating food raw fucking meat <laughs> true British you're right you're right food. which is closer <laughs> to bear life okay can i can i jump into uh some Giorgio Agamben stuff real quick. Are you all good with that? Yeah. Just keep going down this road. Okay. So this this book is called Homo Saker, Sovereign Power and Bear Life. There's a couple quotes I'm going to read that might be confusing because I'm not going to go into the term Homo Saker because it's way too much for this podcast. It's way too much for this episode. Uh but yeah. So one of the things he's doing is talking about how like like okay, Thomas Hobbes says we make this Leviathan, which is like all of us, all of us people with one head that is the king. And we give him the power that way. These laws are decided and things are decided where we're out of this bear life, right? We don't have to deal with it anymore. Um, we now have this social life that protects us from like the war of all against all. But what Agamben points out that even uh, Thomas Hobbes points out that people forget is that you're not getting rid of bear life. You're just isolating it to certain spots, right? It's not that we have these system of laws and everybody's under these laws. The king can make exceptions to the laws. The king could order somebody dead or banish somebody. And that's the same as bare life, right? Like he's not, it's kind of like a weird paradox where certain parts of the sovereignty aren't within what we're saying they are. Like they're saying, oh, we made the society so that you're safe and free from bare life, but also I can exile you from it or I can kill you for whatever. Like, does that kind of make sense as like a weird thing that we, I don't know if that makes sense, if I'm describing that well. It's compressing. That's not the word I was going to use. Some of the, 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 the parts of the bear life they're trying to get rid of into certain uh, specific aspects of the new concentrating. That's the word Concentrating. Into the new society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, There's bear life like um, almost like juts out uh, or also exists on the peripheral. Totally. So... Agamben is interested in looking at, you know, you have this power structure of like, let's say a government or a city or medieval city or whatever. Where are the places where what they're saying they do, there's exceptions to it, like a thing you can call the state of exception. Like a modern example would be like, if the um, ta- if the Twin Towers fall down, the fucking uh, George Bush can say, hey, this is a state of emergency. We can actually kidnap people, put them in Guantanamo Bay and do whatever we want to them. You have bear life like right there concentrated that shows actually the, how powerful and what the sovereign can do. It's just that most, like a lot of the places, there's less bear life, but there's still bear life coming out mm. at all ends, right? 
So one kind of paradoxical thing he likes to look at is the idea of the ban. Like if you are banned from a medieval city, for instance, you're banned. You're not allowed to be here. If you come here, you'll die because you're banned. That to him is a paradox that shows like the weirdness and dishonesty of power. Because if you're banned, are you under sovereign power or are you not under sovereign right. power? It's like kind of impossible to say because you can't go there, but they are telling you that you can't go there, right? It's like a weird paradox. So I'm going to read this quote real quick. The relation of exception is a relation of ban. He who has been banned is not, in fact, simply set outside the law and made indifferent to it, but rather abandoned by it. That is, exposed and threatened on the threshold in which life and law, outside and inside, become indistinguishable. It is literally not possible to say whether the one who has been banned is outside or inside the judicial order. This is why in Romance languages, to be banned originally means both at the mercy of and at one's own will freely, to be excluded and also open to all free. So that, here's where we get to werewolves, I promise. <laughs> so are you following me so far, kind of? Are we kind of on the making sense so far? Okay. The word bandit comes from the word ban. A bandit is someone who's been banned. They've done something wrong where they're now banned. The you can kill them if they show up. You're not that. a murderer if you kill them. I know and tell me that. So uh, I'm just going to read from page 105 of Homo Sacred. He likes to fucking throw like Greek and Latin in there, but I'm just going to read it anyway and i'm going to pronounce it horribly just you, because he'll describe it better than i can to everyone that, cool? that you don't know greek or latin <laughs> get his ass get his ass fuck <laughs> the, the ruse is up okay this is the one big quote bear with me bearing germanic and anglo-saxon sources underline the bandits liminal status by defining him as a wolf man wargus werewolf the Latin Garolfus, from which the French Laup Garou, or werewolf, is derived. Thus, Salic law and Riparian law use the formula Wargus sit hoc esta expelsus in a sense that recalls the sacer esto that sanctioned the sacred man's capacity to be killed. Forget that last part, don't worry about it. And the laws of Edward the Confessor define the bandit as a wolfenschud or a wolf's head and assimilate him to the werewolf. And he has some Latin here that translates to he bears a wolf's head from the day of his expulsion and the English call him wolfshoud, which is wolf's head. What had to remain in the collective unconscious as a monstrous hybrid of human and animal divided between the forest and the city, the werewolf, is therefore in its origin the figure of a man who's been banned from the city. That such a man is defined as a wolf man and not simply as a wolf is decisive here. The life of the bandit is not a piece of animal nature without any relation to the law in the city. It is rather a threshold of indistinction and of passage between animal and man, physis and nomos, exclusion and inclusion. The life of the bandit is the life of the laup garu, the werewolf, who is precisely neither man nor beast and who dwells paradoxically within both while belonging to neither. Okay, do y'all kind of follow that? Should I do a should I do a, a synopsis of that or whatever summary? A synopsis would be nice. Basically, the word werewolf was literally in history used probably before a lot of folklore 
about werewolves to describe someone who's been banned from a city and who, if you see them in the city, you can kill them. They no longer have rights because they are someone who used to be part of social life, but have now kind of given out, given way to bear life by being excluded. They're no longer, uh, they're okay. banned from the city. So I think that's what this movie is kind of about, right? He's like, he's an other, there's all this othering of people who are not going to get like the same yes. rights. Does that make sense? Right. He's, he's like sitting, he's going over the limit. He's moving back and forth o over the limit between, yes, between being someone who is like under care, under scrutiny, but is also like not full person, you know, because he's crazy or because you know, he's American. He's not supposed to be here. He's, you know, he's he's sort of in this in yep. this constantly transitory space. Totally. Uh, can I read a quote from this book that kind of um, connects with what you're saying from? Can you say the name of the book again? Uh, the Werewolf in Lore and Legend by oh. Montague Summers. It should remark. It should be remarked that there exists from very ancient times a certain connection between the wolf and outlawry. Yes. The ritual of this procedure being essentially religious in character, as is clear enough from the ceremonial employed. In the Lex Salica of the Old Franks, we have the phrase, Worgus sit, propi est aictus exu, as dom bouquet glosses. In early Norman law prescribes as the punishment of certain crimes, Worgus esto, which is to say, become a wolf, so that anyone may pursue and slay the criminal, cutting him down as he were a wolf, a savage beast. The laws of S. Edward the Confessor, about 1050, Dehi qui passum ecclesiae fragrance, concerning fugitives from justice have, and there's like a whole paragraph of Latin, um, <laughs> and then a statute of Henry I runs, and then another couple sentences in Latin. In the Tale of Gamelin, a spurious poem which Uri added to the list of Chaucer's works, and Tyrwhit removed these lines occur in reference to Gamelin being outlawed. Though were his bondmen sorry and nothing glad, when Gamelin her lord, wolf's heed was cried and mad. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I love this because the easy move, if you're kind of showing this stuff, is to make him, like, a criminally-minded outlaw or something. But he's just a stupid, dumb kid who's like mm -hmm. kind of because he's telling the truth and other people don't believe him suddenly realizing the threat of like the worst thing a government can do to you like he's like oh shit they're calling me crazy what do they do with crazy people what do they say about crazy people or like i don't know it's like a it's like a series of small otherings you know mm -hmm. like oh i don't feel comfortable in this pub oh the doctor doesn't believe what i'm saying that all kind of it feels like grow into a big snowball effect of oh shit am i gonna get killed by nazis as a trip <laughs> right and and to throw another wrench in it is that he himself doesn't really fully believe it so he himself is also like am i crazy totally shit. Right. um which probably just exasperates the whole situation totally so one other interesting thing about this term that is uh it's tied to is um here i'm gonna read this quote it has two latin quotes in it but i'm not gonna say the latin the medieval ban also presents analogous traits. The bandit could be killed, quote, to ban someone is to say that anyone may harm him, or was even considered already dead, quote, whoever is banned from this city on pain of death must be considered as dead. So it's interesting that 
the werewolf and the undead are so tied together in this movie in a way I've never seen before, where he has the curse of the werewolf that means his friends become undead and they're in this liminal space and he has to stop. Like, it's like he's creating others by his othering. And if he doesn't stop, then like he's it's like a weird infection of 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 banditry or like not acceptable bare life humans and like what's more bare life than seeing somebody like coming apart where you can see their fucking organs and shit you know right 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 well, yeah i mean they if people are actually like that they they sent them to their own colony apart from right <laughs> yes yeah 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 totally absolutely yeah the like what a great example of like this situation where like you are both without the state and also so under the thumb yes. of, of the state. Totally. Yeah. Leper colonies are a great example of that. I, I think one of the ways to me that this movie plays too with the bare life, social life absurdity is what Jack says. Like Jack is dead. Jack just wants to go to the afterlife and can't. And he's only worried about social things that, like, see, should seem so petty. Like, oh, this girl's sleeping with someone else. Oh, look at my funeral. And, like, it's just this very absurd, like, is this what we care about right now? Like, you're dead, bro. <laughs> like, I don't know. I think the movie does a good job of that. Well, I think it's also just, uh, you know, he's got a sense of humor, even after death. He's still... Yes. Still got a great sense of humor. And I, I liked, I thought the, the fact that he's supposed to kill himself is so weird and so interesting. And to me, kind of with this reading, it's like, like, why does he have to kill himself? Like, who fucking cares? But if we're seeing this as like the bare life that, that society is kind of trying to pretend it doesn't have and the people that it wants to exclude, like the benefits of this modern society that we have come at the cost of there not being any room for the people who can't do it who can't and like what are like what are the first things that he does what's the list of things he does before david transforms into a wolf it's a it's a sequence of him being unable to do basic things around a house he can't use a door he tries to turn the tv on and it bores him he gets in the bed he can't sleep he wants nothing in the fridge he wants nothing in the fridge again he opens a book it doesn't interest him like all the things that make our normal return. modern life what did you say return well, yeah, um, yes, it, it feels like a a like yeah frustration with domesticity and yes. yeah yes re like return he's he's got that virality and 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 instinct or whatever coming through he has to get out of this house and but at the same Nothing time about the dog in him it, at the same time I also read that scene as like oh my god. I've just survived this thing. Mm. My friend is dead. I can't eat. I can't sleep. Totally. I can't, you know, like, and they don't play it like that at all. But like, I he's guilt is like clearly a theme in this movie to me, at least, and and also can be read that yeah, way. Yeah, totally. I could definitely see that. I think that that's interesting. We we brought it before whether or not the the hallucinations of Jack are real, and if they aren't real, then that just makes that that guilt part just like such a yeah heavier theme if you read it as the hallucinations aren't real it's even totally way more of a theme that way totally yeah i i didn't read it that way at all and i don't know it's interesting if you can square like a reading that make all these true at once or not but i also think this is just like a movie playing so. with a bunch <laughs> of like 
like I've watched so many werewolf movies because I was interested in this. All of them <laughs> touch on the themes in that of like this political idea of the werewolf. And I don't think most of these people were thinking about that. I just think the way the werewolf works makes us think about the difference between being a man and being a beast, right? And that brings a lot of stuff out. I do wonder if, I mean, so the Wolfman, that movie is like considered like the grandfather of like where our current mm. idea of werewolves come from. So I do wonder how much that is influenced by the fact that that was, you know, once again, a, a J Jewish German immigrant uh, writing stuff, if his experience into that. So I wonder how much is just intrinsic to the idea, our current culture idea of the werewolf is just born from yeah. that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, if this reading that I'm talking about makes any sense, I feel like the way I read this ending is... Or the way I even read the transformation is kind of like, I don't know, he's gone through this othering in the in his process, like dealing with his his medical stuff. That's enough that it's like, if you can't fit into this normal, like, regular society in a clear way where you just agree with authority and all these things, you might as well be a murderer. You might as well be on a rampage. Like, we don't want you. And I feel like that's how I take the... Like the last scene to me, I don't know how y'all read the last scene, but when he causes the most mayhem, all he does is jump out in the street and growl and then like 600 cars crash. And yeah. to me, it's like absurd. And it's supposed to be like, this is wrecking society. We can't handle to even see you. And I, I feel like that ending is beautiful. It took me a while to have a feeling about it. And, and you're you're that 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 point, he, he might as well be a murderer, like even if he's not it, plays into like even the doctor what the doctor is saying yeah. like the yeah he might not be a wolf but he might as well be a wolf with how he's thinking of you know of totally. himself and and um yeah i don't know that's in that's interesting yeah i do think that the i mean yeah, it's just a little addendum that that car crash i think is supposed to be a blues blues brothers not mm. felt like it because oh, yeah. same same director and uh he he knew how to do giant car crashes is there anything else about the ending that's like that we that I I there's like a couple of other like little tiny things I want to jump to, but I not mean, if we still got more uh, stuff. Here. Just for the ending, I just uh the it makes sense to me from the reading of you know being a bandit, someone who can be killed, like that the ending is him in an alley getting shot by a bunch of police, and you know that that's fine, right? There's no like right. let's look into the police, like oh did they do something wrong? It's just like you got to kill this thing. You're not. You're you're banned. You're no longer human. You don't you don't count. It's not murder, right? Right. It's uh his method is suicide. He chose was suicide by cop. Very interesting. I I don't think of him as choosing suicide in this, but I think that's an interesting read. I don't either. He okay. was lunging forward as a as a beast who has no control over himself. Sure. But that is also if you were committing suicide by cop, uh, a bunch of cops having their guns aimed at you and totally. jumping at them. Um, but yep. Sad ending. You, you want, you want, you want him to go, I love you too, Jenny. And then everyone's <laughs> saying, Oh, and lowering their guns and then them giving, running out to each other and smooching. But John Landis doesn't like to give us what we want. No, it's a brutal, brutal, sad ending. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so quick. And then, like immediately goes into a doo-wop song, yeah. which is, uh, <laughs> it's a, that absurdity he's going for. I, it it's it's one of those choices where I'm like watching like I this movie I should like this movie more than I do because 
I, I do like that that, that choice. <laughs> Uh, the other weird thing that it just sort of came to me now from what you were what you were just talking about, Rabbit, about him existing outside and how that doesn't work. And so even if he's not a murderer, because yeah. the whole this I've been thinking this whole time we've been talking, I thought about that commercial that's on the, the TV where they're talking about Naughty Nina mm-hmm. and her. And and I guess I don't really know. She is another. She's like a counterexample of like the same thing, right? She's she's ex- except she's wealthy is the difference. But she's someone like the they're sort of like playing as like she didn't play by the rules mm. and she had like this has this sexy life and you know and but I, I don't remember exactly the uh, the the exact intonations of, of totally. the advertisement, but it, it does feel like. There, he could have done become a werewolf in like a different way yeah. that would have that would have worked, you know, and it, it almost worked for for you know Nurse Alex. It worked it worked for for Nurse Alex, and it, it just <laughs> didn't work for for the hospital and the police and everyone else. But yeah, I mean, there. Um, I was thinking about whether to go into this when you said we were like sexually repressed because I wanted to talk about Foucault and how we're not. It's just it's just uh, put into different. Sex is put into very, it's used very specifically, right? Like heterosexual sex is, is the opposite of repressed. It's like pushed super hard and whatever. There's a lot of things to it, but the right. thing, oh, yes. Um, but the Sorry, yeah. part of, yeah, part of the interesting absurdity of bare life being okay, the, the, the confluence of bare life and social life is the porn theater, right? Um, it's this liminal space where raw nakedness and sexuality are allowed. Uh, but like kind of hidden, but right there with a big display. And it's, I don't think it's a mistake that that's the liminal space where he talks to the undead again, right? The undead are their own liminal. Are they dead? Are they alive? They're the band. Are they in society? Are they not? And then this is also the place. And then the porn itself is like a funny mix of like naked people doing normal social things, but like with awkward mistakes that you don't put in movies. Like, Yo, you got the wrong number. It's like all this absurdity (laughs) of social life with the naked bareness of uh, a sequel to a movie called See You Next Tuesday, if if that all makes sense. (laughs) Yes. Which apparently in all his, or most of his movies, I think he has like a See You Next Tuesday as like a movie. Like there'll be like ads for a movie called See You Next Mm. Tuesday or something like that. But um, actually, slight pushback. It is a coincidence that it's in that... uh, in a porno theater, because as I mentioned before, originally when he wrote the script, that was it's supposed to be a children's theater. Um, but then when he went back to London, it was now a porno theater, so he re- rewrote it as a. That whole scene was supposed to originally be, yeah, a bunch of a werewolf attacks, a bunch of kids in a children's theater. But the, I don't know <laughs> if originally he had him meeting with all the dead people, though. So maybe, so maybe that was, was that that part of it was specifically written to be in the porno theater. I'm not sure. I mean, I guess it just it it would have been a worse movie if it was if it wasn't in the porn theater. <laughs> or there's things we don't know yes. about that one that it would have played on the same things, sure. right? There's there's bare life yes. and social life everywhere. Kids are a weird mix of that too. Um, is that what you were thinking? I was kind of gonna go on when I you said yes, Sparto. I couldn't tell if I. I I was well. I started thinking about werewolfism almost as like homosexuality or sure. or something like that, you know, and like. And and naughty Nina, yeah. uh, sort mm-hmm. of, of like extreme or or the porno theater as like 
heterosexuality that is allowed it's here there's ads for nice. for it all over the place and and but uh there's a criminal is i i probably homosexuality is not criminalized in the 70s or in in england but you know uh not um, not broadly accepted yeah um, in in uh werewolf and lauren legends he does bring up that um he brings up a few examples of uh from greek writing where um uh wolf is sometimes applied to uh a homosexual oh interesting i mean that's like such a i mean that plays into what we were talking about with Foucault again of like you know we say sexuality is repressed but really it's like being used and some some kind of sexualities are becoming pathologies and like are studied and people are segmented because of them or whatever or become like laws where other ones are like supported by the government and the church and all these things and if you don't do those you have to confess you have to like speak it and like the fact that he like he went home with alex which you're not supposed to do right the nurse is not supposed to bring you home but the doctor's like does is he with you like that would make sense okay it's fine can i talk to him like that would not have worked the same way if he went home with a man from like with the orderly right. or something right, you know right 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 unless he went home with the doctor himself <laughs> true if it's cool i want to go into one last interesting thing about like this idea of of bear life and and the band please um i just want to throw out really quick because you're talking about the nina segment i think that's the one thing that uh was not filmed for the movie that was like an actual commercial that they drew in there that they just put in the movie do you remember what the other thing oh it was darts that's what it was yeah, yeah. It's the most boring thing that would only be on European TV. It makes sense that he didn't want to see it. <laughs> yeah, six channels, it? one of them is darts. darts. People throwing darts. Oh. <laughs> um, so the there's like this two-sided thing to to like the ban or like the person outside the law, right? You have this law that's the structure that's supposed to be like the social life that's pushing out bare life, and one thing outside it is the person who like isn't protected by it like the the outsider the the person in guantanamo bay or like the mentally ill person who gets their rights taken away or all these things where they have uh like their bit raw bare life and like the the like violence of nature is imposed upon them because they aren't seen as social or whatever the other side of that is like the sovereign himself like the sovereign is also outside the law as i mentioned like the you know uh, george w bush can declare a state of emergency and make new laws or say things that are that are are rule like fucking uh trump can just tweet out that there's a muslim ban and suddenly it happens it has nothing to do with the law right the law itself is outside of the law like the creation of laws is so a lot of like the bandit is kind of also the sovereign right the sovereign is a bandit they're they can't like the law doesn't touch them uh in the same way that it's supposed to touch them that we say it does um uh the a quote from from Agamben is the paradox of sovereignty consists in the fact that the sovereign is at the same time inside and outside the judicial order just like the outlaw the werewolf so there's a very common trope in werewolf movies of the werewolf being both the bandit and the sovereign or the government and i think like i read those uh the nazis as werewolves um but there's a, there's some weird stuff where like he sometimes looks undead like he has that part where david looks undead where he has yellow eyes and shit and like the he's supposed to be like a vampire i think oh okay well i had never thought of them are, as are undead. you talking about the dream sequence yeah 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 
Yeah, I always assumed that was a vampire. Maybe I'm I wrong. don't know. I thought it was like early werewolf, but I had never thought of them as undead until you guys brought it up. I thought the Nazis were werewolves, but either way, the werewolves and the undead are both in this liminal space here. And it's just very weird that in this movie that seems to be showing like this bear life sovereignty connection, suddenly the werewolf who's this outlaw guy who's this other is also Nazis, right? They like the Nazis will enact bear life on me. The, the protections of the law of social life will no longer protect me. I will be attacked by the fucking werewolf, right? And it's just also weird because, like, this book, Homo Sacred, the whole, like, the cover is a concentration camp um, outline. And the whole thing is leading to the idea that our, the way our society is going, our, like, the, the way the sovereign, the social order works is, like, based on these spaces of exception, these states of exception, where the law and protection of social life doesn't uh, protect us. And like a lot of people, this book came out in 95, I think. And a lot of people think that it was like predicting a lot of like what would happen after 9-11 of like Guantanamo Bay or having camps at the border or having all these like state of emergencies um, and uh, that let them do whatever they want and go against their own laws. And Basically, what he's saying is the the concentration camp is the actual, like, figure of what our society is. It's like a thing that says it's part of the law, but no laws count there. The people in there do not count as people. If you kill someone in a concentration camp, they, it's not counted as a murder. They're already in a concentration camp, and that's what we're, like, moving towards. So I thought it was interesting that this book talking about how werewolves are, like, part of like the the political backdrop of what is actually happening with power then the movie talks about nazis and jews i don't know if that makes sense i'm gonna read one quote which we can get rid of if we think it's too much because it's pretty intense but in uh on page 114 the jew living under nazism is the privileged negative referent of the new biopolitical sovereignty and is as such a flagrant case of a homo saker in the sense of a life that may be killed but not sacrificed. His killing therefore constitutes neither capital punishment nor a sacrifice, but simply the actualization of a mere, quote, capacity to be killed, unquote, inherent in the condition of the Jew as such. The truth which is difficult for the victims to face, but which we must have the courage not to cover with sacrificial veils, is that the Jews were exterminated not in a mad or giant holocaust, but exactly as Hitler had announced, as lice, which is to say, as bare life. Um, so he's saying like the figure of the Jew has been treated during the holocaust as like, you don't count, you don't get these social privileges, you're just bare life and we can exterminate you. And then this movie made by a Jewish guy that's bringing up themes of Jewishness in the end has him as bare life as a fucking wolf just being exterminated in the street as if he's a pest. Pretty intense. Yeah, I think that well, I think that's a pretty good read on this, man. I think so, too. It's weird that there's just Nazis and a mention of Jew and then that the rest is up to us or connections to the wolf man. Uh, but I do think it's there to get a little more outside of there. We haven't really talked about the zoo scene or the sequence after that, which is part of my favorite part of the movie. Because he insults a cop. <laughs> I forgot about that. I thought the the jacket he stole, the red jacket he stole, was was making the most explicit little Red Riding Hood reference that... Oh, uh, I didn't catch that at all. That that maybe he's doing... Oh, shit. Um, that was my I guess. Meant... I, I don't know. Um, no, that's... You know, that's I meant to say... Solid. 
wolf dressed up rabbit. as an old woman. But what? I meant to say in the beginning, rabbit, what a large neck you have. <laughs> um. Thank you, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, I I was stuck in this othering thing, so I thought of him wearing that as another way he wasn't fitting in society. Like he's standing in a woman's coat well, shoeless. That too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I love know. that he's trying to fit in and he says, a lot of weather we've been having lately, which is like <laughs> yeah. such a beautiful, like, you know, using the facsimiles of social life, but you can't do it. You're not yeah. there anymore. Yeah. You're yeah. You just completely alien. Yeah, you just made yourself go into his fucking cage. You're not you're not meant for here right now. Pretty I, I like the jacket. I thought it looked good on him. Um that color was awesome it, I, I was, for his eyes, I gotta say. Yeah, I, I was I was like, I, I think I'd wear that jacket. I, I've worn women's jackets in the past and I think I'd li- like that jacket. Um I I think I would wear that to like a punk show or something. Yeah. But yeah, I, I the, the the zoo sequence is one of my favorite sequences. Um John Landis always says that so he made he wrote the script and he said he got a bunch of work off this script. Because people, he would show it to people and they like it and they give him work. But he was always told that he can never get it made because some people would say it's too funny to be scary mm-hmm. or it's too scary to be funny. And I've never understood that because I've never found it that funny. And there are moments that I find pretty funny, but I never have felt like that. It's not it's like, like Evil Dead. I never, yeah, yeah, I've never been like, this is super funny or like the funny impedes on any of the any of the horror aspects of it all. Um, but uh, yeah, one of the, the funniest moments in it is this, uh, the zoo sequence. I feel like I totally get what they're saying. Not like it's so funny. It can't be scary, but it's like, you're trying to be funny and scary at the same time. So it doesn't work, which I think is a lot of people's complaint with the movie. Um, and I do think a lot of people think about movies in terms of like, do I want to watch a horror or do I want to watch a comedy right now? What am I in the mood for? And this doesn't, isn't great for that kind of person for, which is like a very mainstream thing like it's not i mean scary. i've always been along with i've always been along with landis is this is just a straight up horror movie and like yeah there are there is humor in it but it's never felt like a horror comedy yet to me it's always oh it like doesn't feel horror, horror to me at all some... i see yeah it to me like the scene where he's transforming so i, I started thinking about how many disney characters are in her apartment <laughs> and and <laughs> how they're all like mouse men and yeah, they're all uh, anthropomorphized or, animals yeah, yeah you know it's the same, i think and, a commentary and, brings up it's and, amazing that they didn't get like sued for that it's in, oh it's incredible because <laughs> mickey mouse is just there watching yeah. him transform yeah. and it's i think there's like two mickey mouses there's, and a, a, there's a mickey there's a mini there's a donald duck yeah it's and and it's so funny that they're just like like he's i mean in 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 addition to like becoming a wolf, he's also becoming a cartoon character, you know, yeah. and, and mm-hmm. you know, and something like very silly and or the cartoon character is becoming something very horrifying, you know, however you want to look at it. It's it's interesting you bring that up because um so Rick Baker did all the effects on this and yeah. uh he was originally so he worked on Schlock, which is John Lance's first movie that he made when he was twenty one back around like early 70s 71 or something like that maybe i don't know uh and at that point john landis shared the script with him to american world from london and they're like oh we got to make this someday we got to make this someday and then when landis finally got funding he contacted rick baker and rick baker was like oh i'm working on the howling with joe dante (laughs) and landis like 
was furious at him and like yelled at him. And so Baker is like, I didn't think you're ever going to get funding for it. Yeah. <laughs> it took you over a fucking decade to get funding for it. <laughs> and then uh, Baker is like, okay, okay, I'll hand the howling over to my protege, um, Rob Botin, and I'll go back and work on a, a, a American Werewolf with you. But it's, it's funny because you bringing up that cartoon part of it is, have you seen the howling, Barto? Nope. So that's uh, Joe Dante's always very influenced by like Looney Tunes, yep. and there's like oh, yeah. a very, very cartoonish kind of aspect to it. I mean, he's still trying to deliver a horror movie, but I, I think there's even some like cuts of Looney Tunes. There's, there's some. There's maybe I'm remembering wrong. It's been a long time since I've been seeing it, but there's very much more of a cartoonish uh, part to that to the wolf sure. stuff in that. That makes mm-hmm. sense, dude. The effects in this are so fucking good. Like, I don't. Yeah, I great. feel like this is. The 80s had such good practical effects, man. It's a mm. bummer. We'll never get a cool werewolf movie again because it's all going to be CGI, and that's the best part of werewolf movies. Like, this year had... Yeah. 1983 yeah. had three fucking... Was this 80? No, 81. Um, Had three big werewolf movies. Uh, The Howling, This, and Wolfen. Never again. It was just an 80s thing. Return. It'll have to be, like, independently, independently produced movies. Yeah are like the only ones that are probably can deliver something that could be like that because anything that's not independently produced, the the money man are just gonna be like, no, just do a computer effect. Speaking of which, have you all seen the sequel to this? Oh uh, that not no I saw it I've in theaters when it came Paris, out. right? Yeah, Paris, but I, saw I when did it come out? Uh nineties. I was young. I saw it with my dad. It was terrible. <laughs> to piggyback on that, um John Landis did write the first draft of the screenplay um, for the sequel. And in that first draft, uh, Debbie Klein, that's the girl that Jack is into, right? That they mentioned in the beginning. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, She investigates what happened to Jack and David, and she tracks down Alex, who is uh, living with and cared for by Dr. Hirsch, and Alex is now a werewolf. And um, Jack and David's are both now corpses that I guess uh, come back and talk to somebody. I don't that know, sounds I so that much better than uh, <laughs> a, a <laughs> troop of daredevils go to bungee jump off the Eiffel Tower. Like, it's like such a bad movie. That's what happens <laughs> in the Paris one. This actually, this movie almost became Werewolf in Paris. Uh, when they were making the movie, I believe it was... Um, so, one of the reasons they... they they wanted to in London was because of uh, tax incentives, uh, huge tax incentives. Of but part of that is you had to, most of the actors, most of the people on the crew had to be British, and um, they weren't allowing like enough visas. I think, I think it was like they had like a visa for Landis and uh, Griffin Dunn and David Naughton, but they couldn't get one for Rick Baker. So John Landis threatened like, okay, I'll just go make an American Werewolf in Paris, and. Um, they called his bluff and uh, uh, gave him a, a visa for Rick Baker. Oh, so they didn't call his bluff. Yeah. Yeah. They they folded. Whatever the terminology got is. Got it. Got it. That's cool. <laughs> our our poker player uh, listeners will understand. <laughs> um, Can I really quick tell you why I thought this was going to be Hamlet? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So the first Which part one, of it is because uh, he's trying to decide if he needs to kill himself, right? Yeah, and a ghost has told him to kill someone. Oh, shit. And and it starts off with an American werewolf in London, an interpretation of the play Hamlet by the bard, (laughs) the great bard Shakespeare. Uh, But but then I was so excited 
when they went to the porno theater because Hamlet famously has a play within a play. And I'm like, oh, oh a film within a shit. film. And, and is there going to be like reflecting on the plot of the is the porn going to reflect the plot of the the play? And it <laughs> sort of does because there's like this misidentification thing that goes yeah. on in the porn, which is sort <laughs> of going on in the movie. I don't know. But but then I started, I'm like, do I read Hamlet? And I'm so glad I didn't because it's his longest play, I think. And, and I didn't. It's not, but it's long. Yeah. Totally. Uh, and, uh, and it's not there. And, and no one else has ever had this thought before. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Hamlet's really good, though. I recommend it. Just saying, it's one. Of I know. I, I know. I should read it. Everyone talks about Hamlet. Like it's I already know good. it. And and or you can watch Star in the Blood. Right? Is that one Hamlet? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Just go watch Star in the Blood. Or the Northman. I watched the Northman. That's the same thing. Wait, Star in the Blood. Oh, Northman rules. Hamlet? I can't remember. Oh uh-huh. yeah, watch the Northman. You already watched the Northman. Oh, no, Star in the Blood is Macbeth. Yes, it's Macbeth. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, there are no. There are famously no movies of Hamlet. Weirdly enough. Um, uh, I gotta just say one more thing about the porno like theater I loved the movie so much because it was like okay I mentioned this before but like first it's somebody the bad like, sleep well what? sorry Kurosawa's Hamlet is the bad sleep well oh nice sorry sorry th- porno theater okay the movie is like like okay uh, the reason it has to be in a porno theater and that it's like uh, a porno is because it's showing things you can't normally show in movies right or like it's whatever and then what are they doing in the movie like somebody answers a phone and it's a wrong number or somebody thinks that somebody's cheating on them but they got the wrong person which is things that happen in life but that you can't show in movies you don't show the boring (laughs) (laughs) shit like the mistakes this is really great super good nailed it that just made this Um, like a better movie than i i thought it was that's like a very funny (laughs) joke it's so good yeah i I love the porno film Uh, of course you do uh of course you do charlie we know (laughs) i added a wolf whistle sound effect i got a a few I got a few vintage pornos on my shelf, and I would gladly put see you next to uh, see you next Wednesday, um, <laughs> alongside them. It's a great one. It's it's top tier. Yeah, funny. but it, it, yeah, it was it's hilarious. It was the funniest part of the movie, in my opinion. And apparently, that was like the first thing they shot, which <laughs> interesting. And the, the whole crew was just like, "What are we making?" Because <laughs> they were all like British, you know. Like I said, they were all like a British crew, so they didn't fully know what what john landis was doing <laughs> that's great i got nothing else really i mean i have a lot but it's all i don't know i think there's there's fun things in so many scenes here but we've 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 really talked about it all um do y'all have anything else before we go to awards there's a few tidbits i think are kind of interesting oh yeah some little things from paul davis's commentary barta you might be interested in this one uh the wolf howl was um an elephant trumpet played backward with reverb. Cool. Uh, oh, yeah. And by the way, I don't think we brought up that um, Michael Jackson saw this movie and he was like, I want to be a monster. So he called John Landis and John Landis made Thriller, uh, the Thriller music video. Cool. And it, th- they reused a lot of the same makeup, uh, a lot of Rick Baker's makeup and um, that, that, uh, that same werewolf. How that I just mentioned. God, it's been so long since I've seen that video. Classic. Yeah, I, I think I watched it after 
Yeah, this movie. It's it's a it's a banger. The punks were not in the script. They saw them on the street and they um and asked them to be in the movie. Which, by the way, I was of two minds of that scene. Um, I was really like, man, this guy's David's being a real prick. Uh, like making mocking these punks um in the subway. But then I, I was also like, uh, Alex seems to be charmed by it. So I would I would mock every punk in existence and uh uh talk about how silly and stupid punk is and then i'd ask her who else she wants me to mock um <laughs> i i thought man i it it did feel like uh that was like a i, I want to just real quick there was such like a strange sequence because they're like food prices punks <laughs> pda society right is this what society is yeah. and and yeah i mean well we got sounds to me like they got a return. bit of bidenomics there for the <laughs> Uh, the inflation just killing them. Right. Thanks, Brandon. <laughs> Apparently, I don't fully believe the story. I believe maybe some of it. Um, when the first cut was shown to the producers at Polygram, they were furious. Um, and supposedly a chair was thrown through a window. I don't fully believe that. Uh, and they demanded tons of cuts. Uh, John came back like a week or two later and he showed them the exact same cut and the producers were happy with it. And they just assumed that he had made the cuts that they asked for, but they had, hadn't really known, I guess what they asked for in the first place. Cause they're just a bunch of stupid money men. Um, I believe maybe there's some exaggeration to that story. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little, <laughs> uh, there was a delayed scene where, um, the wolf clamps on to, a. Uh, a homeless, uh, one of the houseless dudes, and um, pulls him out of the shot, and the body appears back in shot, like torn to pieces. And apparently, it's like the biggest, scariest moment of the movie. But um, people were so stunned that they would talk about that moment, and they would ignore the best, the next part of the movie, which I think was the subway kill. Mm. Uh, so John decided to cut it, um, even though it was it was to him the bigger boat, uh, going to need a bigger boat. Uh, part of the movie is what he referred to it as, mm. but because it intruded uh, onto the next shot, he decided to cut it. Next scene. I thought it was a little weird that uh, the businessmen and w the woman that one of them was with had full first and last names, but the homeless dudes just had first names. It's a little weird. Yeah. yeah. Well, he sort of killed like Patrick Bateman. With, yeah. You know, Homeless people and other and rich people. <laughs> yeah, it was a weird. I, I was just like, oh, he's just killing the upper middle class. Oh, nope. Okay, just randomly killing some homeless people. Okay, back to the upper middle class. It was very weird. I guess at the Indian, there was a part cut where um, a cop runs after the wolf in the alley, and um, he's accidentally shot by another cop who's aiming for the wolf. Oh <laughs> <Hell> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Eddie Murphy told uh, John. Um, that he took a, a girl on a date to the movie, and at the end, the girl was crying, and she said, what did it mean? <laughs> and then he said, it means it's time to go home. She kept going, what did it mean? What did it mean? And he goes, well, the movie's over. It's time to go. That means it's time to go home. Huh. I thought that was going to be like, because it's Eddie Murphy, maybe something comedic or like witty at the end, but <laughs> I guess not. It's a little witty. <laughs> Uh, that's kind of funny. It's, it means it's time to go home, but definitely not a I don't get it. well written joke. <laughs> See, you think that's funny. I think this movie's funny. We have different tastes. It's fine. Yeah. I, it's a very dry, obvious response. It's totally, totally. 
I I I just love the part that she's like, "What does it mean?" Because that's me at the end of movies, so that's great. <laughs> Hell yeah! Awards times, folks. Who's got favorite shots? I rose my hand first, Charlie. So all the listeners know. Do you have a favorite shot? I share my favorite shot with the director of the movie, just like I share his opinion that this movie is a horror movie, not a horror comedy. Wrong. Well, it's not a horror comedy either. It's just a comedy. Sorry. Whoa. <laughs> There's not a single horror part of this movie to me. I don't get that. What? I don't think that's what? correct. You were scared during this movie? It's just silly. No, I wasn't I'm scared. I'm scared during start... most movies. There that doesn't mean they're elements. not horror movies. There are horror elements, yeah. There are, are you saying there aren't comedic elements? I think it's a horror, horror comedic comedy. elements. Well, that, okay. Sorry, Charlie, what's your, what's your favorite shot? Um, the shot where it's in the subway and the guy's going up the escalator and it's the... The camera's looking down, down the escalator, and you can see the werewolf start walking into the shot. So good. Um, yeah, that's my favorite shot. Same as John Landis. That's what I have written as my favorite shot, but I had a backup in case one of y'all picked it. Uh, so <laughs> when he runs by the bench and grabs the red jacket, it's a great shot. <laughs> yeah. I, I did think that whole scene of the guy in, in the, in the uh, what's it, what do they call it in, in England? The tube? In the tube, yeah. God, Thank stupid you. Stupid as fucking people. Yeah, uh, no, yeah. It, it, even he's running from something, but he can't run up the escalator. <laughs> he just rides it the whole way up, and then the second time when he tries to even walk up the escalator, he falls. <laughs> just like how England made it this far as like a people is beyond me. I think it's all really encapsulated very yeah. nicely in that scene. That's definitely a, a knock against England, not the movie. Yeah, yeah. 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 You could have asked that question just by stopping at, they call the subway the tube. <laughs> yeah, and then you could have said, how did England make it this far? Same, same weight of just incompetence and stupidity. The same way of calling it the telly instead of... Oh, I kind of like that one. Uh, no, my, it's stupid. It my, sucks. My uh, my favorite shot is is the hand growing because I really mm. vis visceral viscerally felt that. Yeah, I mean, do that to your hand if we ever meet. It, it is weird to not pick that scene because that scene. I mean, I think it's just so iconic. It seems separate, but that fucking the transformation scene is just unbelievably good. Agreed. Dumb cop of the week. You know, David <laughs> killing those homeless people and trying to get away with it. Damn. Yeah, yeah, very uncool. Oh, we try to get away with it. It's true. He did try and arrest it himself. I... That's that's true. <laughs> Another very yeah. Okay, but, but he didn't get arrested just like a cop wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, trying I'm to go on that. I'm Appreciate going it. simple and boring. The inspector, he's just an asshole. I don't like him. He's dumb. No. Oh, yeah. Boo. The same here, but also just like it's weird how the movie pretty much just completely ignores the two cops. Like they're barely in it at all, and their their investigation has pretty much nothing to do with the plot. Well, because they just say like, well, case, I guess we have to... case closed early on. Yeah, like I guess we just have to. There would be cops involved, so I guess we have to write them in the script somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's basically what it feels like. Um, and then it just makes them bumbling idiots. Uh, which um completely it it goes into my praxis award, which is the doctor who does the cop's job and is actually even though. He could just say, patient's not in, my care, not in my care anymore, not in my hospital anymore, out of my worries. He still goes, it's like, you know what, I, I'm worried about my about the patient, 
I'm going to go and, and drive far away to these people that just intrinsically hate me for good reason. He's from London. And um, try to investigate what's going on and figure what's going on and help this guy, even though I don't have to. I, I think that's that's some good practice. Oh, yeah. Even if, yes, we talked about how he doesn't fully believe David what's going on, but know what anybody else. Uh, Barto, do you have a practice? Nurse Alex for knocking uh, over that row of police officers as she uh, is fighting to get to David. They just like topple like dominoes. And I thought that was that was pretty cool. Good for her. I miss that. All bobbies are bastards. That's awesome. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, if you can hear me behind the rain, uh, I'm giving the Praxis Award to David for causing mayhem in london just by his mere existence in the middle of the road pretty sick that move, was bro. pretty fucking cool also i thought that the cops saying case closed and disappearing forever was a, the most relatable part of the movie as <laughs> <laughs> and and then they show up and get it beheaded <laughs> wait they get beheaded oh that's them yeah i didn't yeah, pick yeah. them yeah. up oh that's sick praxis yeah. award is going to david for beheading the cop yeah. i was surprised you didn't throw that into the praxis <laughs> Um, okay, how are we going to rate this sucker? This is a 3.5 out of 5 type film for me. Hell yeah. I'll give it um, 3 ounces of werewolf drool out of a possibility. My container holds 5 ounces of werewolf drool. <laughs> so now I'm going to have to go get 2 ounces of werewolf drool from somewhere else. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give this movie... Uh, a man who has turned 4.5 fifths of the way into a werewolf. I think you're going to make an age or, a joke about my age or something. Nope. So, you know, okay. like 60% man. 4.5 is... Uh, so, uh, is that guess, right? No. <laughs> uh, eight. No, no. Eight. 4.5 four out of fifth. 5 per uh, wolf. So 0.5 man out of 5. So no, it would be, but you're already fifty percent man, right? And and so wait, uh, what? No, you're all right now. Mind. I'm a hundred percent man, bro. Don't don't fucking try to. Wow. I don't know what you're saying. That's okay. It doesn't matter. I thought okay. you said I was thinking in four point five out of five way to being a werewolf, which is like half oh, man, I half see. wolf, and and I so see. that's that okay, was what that's I that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, that that. I guess. <laughs> uh anything else oh. can i close this out please okay sweet y'all thank you for listening don't forget next time we think we're going to be covering existence so you should watch that and get ready for us to talk about it uh you can check us out on patreon patreon.com slash no gods pod we got like a dollar a month gets you all the stuff that we put out Thank you to everybody who signed up already. We appreciate you. Um, you can rate us on Apple Podcasts and give us a review there. And you can find us on Twitter and Blue Sky at NoGodsPod and email us, NoGodsPod at gmail.com. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you, Captain Anarchy.